So Merry Christmas. Uh, we are going to preach a Christmas story today because, of course, it is Christmas. We just got done with David. David points to Jesus, and we're going to wrap that up together as well today. But here's the opening question. What is, what is the point of Christmas? And so you could look at this. I mean, this is like my uh, 13th Christmas sermon year, at least in a series at Christmas. You could look at this from all sorts of angles, and every pastor every year scrambles, gets on things like right now media, you know, who's saying something different? But then we realize it's all the same story. Like there's only so many ways that you can turn and, and maneuver this story. Uh, but this year, I just want to very, give a very basic message uh, with a salvation message tied to what is the point of Christmas? And then the answer is what? The point of Christmas is who? Jesus. All right, let's pray, right? We're done. No, I mean, the point of Christmas is Jesus, but then within that framework, because who's going to disagree with that? Within that free framework of Jesus is the reason for the season, what is the point even within that? Did Jesus come for a specific reason? <clears throat> Did he come to complete specific tasks from the Father? Why? What is he doing? So as we get into Matthew chapter one, I wanna just reveal to you that it's not a secret gym, this idea of Christmas. In no way does the Bible hide the meaning of Christmas for us. What is the point? Matthew lets us know right out of the gate as a Jewish man talking to a Jewish audience that a Messiah is coming. <clears throat> And it's a Hebrew word to even name Jesus. It starts Hebrew, it has a Greek equivalent, and his last name isn't actually even his last name. The last name is the point. His last name is not actually Christ. It's not like Mary and Joseph Christ had Jesus Christ. No, Christ is Messiah. It's Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. It's a Greek word with a Hebrew name, and it translates Yeshua, Joshua, the Christ, the one that you know as a Jewish audience is coming to save you, is now here. And when the Jewish audience would have heard of Yeshua, they would have heard of him in a different context that we heard of him. They would have known that Yeshua is Joshua from the Old Testament, and Joshua was a warrior and a general. He was a military man. <clears throat> Ancient Jews were looking, not for another Moses. They already had the law and they had it in abundance. They already had all the rules that they were supposed to follow. They needed a ruler and a warrior. More specifically, they needed a deliverer from their oppression. So they were looking for Joshua. And the story unfolds in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, took place in this way. If anyone wants to give me like five of these, we'll see where this goes. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so just some context here, Mary was probably 13, 14 years old. How do we know that? Because that's how old you were when it was time to get married. Any girls in here around that age, my daughter's 13. This is a crazy text for me. In fact, in Jesus' day, life expectancy into the 30s, if you were 16 and single, there was an issue. 
If you were a woman in 16, you were old. And so Jesus is born to a virgin, and she was young. And an angel speaks to Joseph, her husband. And in verse 19, the Bible says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Why? Because she was pregnant, and he knew that he wasn't with her, so what's going on? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And if you remember the last five sermons that I've given you, it's been on this idea of David being in the lineage of Christ, having to be in the lineage of Christ for a Judas audience to accept Jesus for who he is. And he refers to Joseph as the lineage that he comes from, Joseph, son of David. And he says something kind of crazy. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Joseph's thinking, well, I might not need to be afraid, but I definitely need to reevaluate. Nobody was expecting this to take place in this way. They, They loved when it's Joshua, when it's Yeshua, when it's warrior, when it's the idea of saving. The Messiah has come and he's gonna save. They loved that idea. But even this idea of a virgin birth, which you're gonna see in the next few verses, is prophesied about through Isaiah. This is something they should have known about. But the Jewish people, they were so fixated on their current plight that they didn't have a strong reality of the fact that the Old Testament said that he's gonna come from a virgin. They expected him to come to the line of David. They expected him to be a warrior. They expected him to deliver them from their plight. But the whole idea of the virgin birth was kind of put on the back burner to the Jewish audience of the day because that wasn't their focus point. In fact, all around them, there were pagan ideologies where gods would come down to earth and sleep with women, and they would have half-man and half-god sons, and that's like, you know, the idea of Zeus. That's where he came about. So they had this idea in the culture around them, but the Jewish audience, they didn't see it like that, and rightfully so, because that's not the biblical narrative, but this whole idea of a virgin birth, this was something they just kind of put on the back burner, and they thought, okay, Isaiah says it, but, you know, whatever, we need a warrior, we need a deliverer, we need someone to tell Rome what's up and deliver us from this oppression. And then in verse 21, the climactic part of the storyline, the angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son, and she will call his name Yeshua. They're going, okay, I get it, this is good. They will call him Yeshua, and he will save his people. And at this point, Joseph is going, amen. And it's about time. And how honored am I to be actually a part of this narrative that now the Messiah is coming and he's going to save his people. And it's all about Yeshua. It's all about the warrior king that needs to come into place. These people have been oppressed over and over and over again in history. And they knew Joshua. Joshua took his people into Canaan, he drove out all the invaders. Under Joshua's leadership, the walls of Jericho fell so that God's people could have the land that God had called them to. And so he's saying, it's about time that we're gonna get saved. But then the script flips. It says this, his name is gonna be Yeshua and he's gonna save his people. And then the moment of silence, and here it is from the angel, he's gonna save his people from, look at me, their sin. Their sin. Being a Jewish man, I would imagine Joseph is kind of scratching his head. 
Because, pay attention to this, the Jewish audience, if they had a top 10 of needs, the Jewish audience is looking at this storyline and they're saying, man, we've got all sorts of felt needs, but on the top 10 Letterman list, sin isn't one of them. Right? Maybe you haven't heard. We already have a plan for that. Maybe you, maybe you haven't heard. We already have the temple. We already have the 600 plus laws plus the extra biblical Old Testament rules that the Pharisee followed. We already have all of that. We need saving, but what we need saving from is the sword. We need a Messiah who has a sword in the spirit of Yeshua. We need a warrior king to come and finally put an end to this oppression. And the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph, and he says, you're going to be saved. In fact, it's, it's bigger than you. <clears throat> what we know from the New Testament is this whole thing opens up to the Gentiles, thank God, because I would imagine at least 98% of us in this room are Gentiles. 98% of us downtown right now are Gentiles. You need to be saved, but you need to be saved from your sins. And this isn't in the temporary. This is in the eternal. This has massive impact. This is why we're getting together. This is why we're telling this story 2,000 years later. This is why we're having kingdom builders. This is why the gospel is going forward. This is why hearts are being changed. This is why Megan's getting up here nine years after giving her life to Christ and saying, I want my family to serve the Lord because Jesus saves, but he saves in an eternal sense, and he saves in a spiritual sense, and what we all need is that salvation, amen? We all need it. The Jewish audience is looking at it and going, man, that doesn't even make my top 10. We already have a religious plan for that. And Jesus comes on the scene, he says, that's the point. That system is no longer. If you're a student at all of psychology, you've probably heard of this. Anyone ever heard of Abraham Maslow? I was like, this is where it gets awkward. Everyone's like, nope, okay, sorry. Uh, has anyone ever heard of a hierarchy of needs? I just kind of like when people raise their hands, especially when I'm insecure and lose my voice and it's Christmas time and everyone's asleep from the snow. Has anyone ever heard of a hierarchy of needs? Okay, so here are the hierarchy of needs. It makes me think of Peru every time. And the idea behind this whole theory, which I think is very credible, is that until you get to a certain point of safety, you don't worry about other things. And so the idea is, if your physiological needs aren't met, if your safety needs aren't met, then you're never gonna get to this place where you think broader, where you think about those things of life that people that don't have those things, like in Peru, never really worry about. And so his whole theory is built on this idea that your main needs are physiological, and if you don't meet your physiological needs, you never get to your safety needs. If you never get to your safety needs, you never worry about things like, you know, who do I love and who loves me, love and belonging, and uh, then ideas like in the 21st century, like self-esteem. You never get to those types of concepts. And then you definitely never get to this place of self-actualization, which we are full of today all over social media, where we're trying to find ourselves. You never get to those places when your basic needs aren't met. Like, you never ask the metaphorical question or the, you know, larger-than-life question, like if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it. You, you never go there. You never ask the question, like, uh, who am I in a larger sense if you don't have a meal that day and you're living in a third-world country? The Jewish audience is hearing this, and they are oppressed. And so this idea of being saved from their sins, that's just not on their radar because they're still going, man, I don't even know if I'm going to be killed tonight. And they're frustrated. 
We need a savior with a sword. Joseph hears it because when an angel talks, God's talking and you hear it. He does the logical thing. He shuts up and listens. And then he's reminded by the angel that all this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Joseph, here's a reminder. It was already said in the Old Testament, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, Yeshua, he just falls in line, he obeys, because that's what makes him a great character of the fine print. He gets this little narrative, and then, and then Joseph disappears. But what we know about him is he's incredibly, incredibly obedient. And so what do we do with this story? What do we do with this reality when we can take Christmas and we can package it in so many different ways, but when we actually read the text, it is so simple, and it's so simple that we miss it. That Christ came, Yeshua came in the spirit of Joshua as a warrior, and what he came to do was he came to deliver his people, and when he came to deliver his people, he came to deliver them from the power of sin in their life. Well, here's what we do. We break this idea into two main parts. And so here's what we do when we miss it. What we can do, and, and hear me say this right. I listened to someone talk about this this week, and I thought, man, if, if you don't say this right, you can really get yourself into a corner theologically. And so hear me say this with the heart of the text. What we can do as religious people is we can say, well, Jesus came. He came right there. It says in the text, he came to forgive us from our sins and so nobody's perfect, that's theologically accurate, Jesus is perfect, we're sinners, and so I need God's forgiveness at Christmas, thank you for reminding me, I'll come to the Christmas Eve service, I look forward to lighting the candle, there'll be gifts at home, and football throughout the duration of the weekend, thank you, let's pray. And so here's the miss, we can hear that all day long, and we can miss it bad. Because we can take something that's true, and we can apply that truth without actually applying the rest of the truth because here is the reality of this Christmas season. Jesus came to forgive of sins. Jesus came to go to a cross, but he also came not to just stay on that cross. He gets off the cross. He dies. Three days later, he rises again from death, and he gives us something that we desperately need. He gives us the power to not just be forgiven of sin, but to be delivered from sin. He gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to actually have this deliverance and then walk in new life. That's the gospel. It's not that you're just forgiven for something and you get fire insurance. It's not just say this prayer after me so that now you can be okay. It's, hey, you're dead in your sins, but now because Jesus came in the spirit of Yeshua in the heart of a warrior, now you can be forgiven, but you can also be, look at me, you can be transformed by the gospel, and that's where most of us miss it. That's where I've missed it. Jesus comes as Yeshua. He says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy, but he says this, but I've come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. So there's two parts. Jesus saves from, write it down, and Jesus saves to. What does he save from? He saves from sin. 
More specifically, he saves from, write this down, he saves from the power of sin. If you do not think that sin is powerful, then one or two things are happening in your heart. Number one, you're in denial. Number two, you have so much pride that you're blind. I mean, who, who could stand up here this morning and say, here or downtown, that sin's not powerful? And if sin's not powerful, then the logical question is, why do you keep doing it? Sin is powerful, and then Jesus comes along, and he saves us from the power of sin. That we can actually walk in freedom. Jesus doesn't just save us from the power of sin. Write this down. This is just me kind of just making some Christmas notes. <clears throat> reviewing the last year and the sermon series that we've been in as we now close this thing out in 2022. Side note, how crazy is it that 2022 is like a vapor behind us at this point? Does it not feel like it just started? And looking at all the things that we discussed and the trauma series and, and, the, and the victory that we can have in Christ, that Jesus saves us from the power of sin. But here, here's what's so amazing as we close this year out. Jesus saves us not just from the power of sin, he saves us from the bondage of sin. Sin has massive bondage attached to it. That, that we have this road, this fork in the road where we can follow Christ or we can do our own thing. And when we do our own thing as followers of Christ, there is massive consequence attached to that. There's a bondage that takes place. The Bible talks about the bondage of sin. I was uh, driving to the church Friday. Monday, Greg and I uh, dropped off. We went all the way to Minneapolis because a storm was coming to drop off a vehicle, long story, to the people coming back from Peru after me. By the time we got to Millbank, Monday night, it was like an ice rink. You guys track that where you, you were like, man, this is worse. You know, sometimes they say there's going to be a bad storm. You're like, eh, it's not that bad. This one, this one lived up to all the hype, did it not? So I'm at a farm Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I hate being stuck. Friday, no more. I don't care what the roads are doing. Enough is enough. Freedom to the captive. I'm not going to stay in this storm anymore. Friday, it starts getting better. Friday, <clears throat> I decide to teach my middle son a lesson of what it looks like to be a man. What it looks like to drive in unrealistic conditions that you shouldn't be driving in yet. And I get to the church because there's stuff to be done. And lo and behold, uh, because everyone's dealing with a storm, there was no plow yet available and so this is a, this is a, I think this is like a perfect tie-in. Anyone get stuck in the snow these last five days? Um, I thought I was above it. I thought that the bondage of the snow was no longer a frame of reference for my life because I was too smart. Like, like you just don't go here and you go there and how can you not? And then maybe you can slide off the road, but if you drive slow and excited, I mean, so how could this happen to anybody that's been in South Dakota for 22 years? And so I drive in the back way and I beat the system because I realized someone did something to the backside of that road and it's pretty clear. And I come up on this side door. I work on my sermon. I've got my son with me. He comes to the church. We're going to 
to go eat. I feel like I've beat the system and I figured it out. And then I, in my brilliance, have this idea that I'm going to keep driving straight into the parking lot and I'm going to take the other side road by the old Shopco U-Haul building and I'm going to book it out of there and no one's going to know the difference because I've beaten the system. And then I get there and I turn right and I go to the frontage road and it's dark at this point and I've got my middle child with me and he's just staring at me. And I've got my wife's car. Anyone see a for sale sign on a car out here? And I turn what I think is the road onto the grass. And I think in my head, I don't realize it's the grass. Oh, I just got to drive harder. It's slowing down. It's slowing down. It's slowing down. And I drive farther and I get completely stuck. And then I do this really Christian thing. It's really wrong to yell at other people, so what I show my son how to do is how to yell at yourself, and I start calling myself all sorts of names, like, you're an idiot, how could you do this? You know, and then my son's just looking at me, learning this life lesson on how not to be a dummy at 42 years old. And so then I, I, I open the door, and I get out, and there's snow all around it, and so then I try to really open the door again to get back in the car. I rip the handle off the door. I didn't even tell my wife that yet. And then I just leave it there. I end up in a truck and then I take off. And then the next day, uh, my, my rescuer comes in the form of someone that I don't know that is very burly and plowing the parking lot. There's like four guys. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this as a man, but is there anything worse than kind of tiptoeing it to the person that's going to rescue you from your plight as you have proven to be an ineffective driver? And I tiptoe it to him. I've got my... My son with me again, and he plows me out of this thing. And I just, so here's the whole point on the bondage of sin. I, I thought, man, this fits so perfectly into what we are talking about. Because the harder I tried to do things my way, the deeper I got into this bondage, the tentacles of the white substance wrap themselves around me. And is there any worse feeling, wake up, is there any worse feeling when those wheels start spinning and you realize there's no one to blame but yourself? And the harder you try to plow forward, the worse it gets. And the only way that you can be released from that bondage isn't from trying harder, isn't from hitting the gas pedal harder. It's the only way that you can be delivered is if someone that has more power than you takes you, grabs you with a rope that can tow 2,000 pounds and pulls you from your plight. That you have to be rescued from something bigger than yourself. In the spirit of Yeshua. So he pulls me out. I said, what do I owe you? The guy said, just pray that I have a date by Easter. I'm single. (laughs) So as we close, we're going to lift up this, whoever this guy is. I think that's what he said. Uh, Well, maybe that's prophetic. Come to new life. Give your life to Christ. Maybe, you know, we'll find you a Christian girl. I don't know. And, And he says that to me, and I just feel about this big. Nice guy. No cost. Thought I learned my lesson. A few hours later, I call Welton. Jet got stuck in the snow, off in a ditch in Richmond. Pulls us out again from the bondage of sin. I mean, this is just how sin works, isn't it? You think that you have power when you're powerless. You think that if you plow harder, you can experience freedom. Here's the irony of that story. I already had a road that worked. I already pulled into the church. All I had to do was go back on that path that God had called me to. 
And in my own ignorance and pride and stupidity, I thought, I'm going to make it my own way. I'm going to go a different route. Stuck in bondage. Stuck in the snow. I was listening to a story of a lady that was stuck in bondage. I was listening to Louis Giglio. And he tells this story of this lady that was addicted and she comes home from a real estate convention and she comes to her house and all of her family is there. And she realizes that they want to tell her something and they sit her down and they take this huge trash bag. Her 16-year-old daughter takes this trash bag and she says, I found this in the last course of the year in the garage. And she takes it and she turns it and dumps out empty pill bottles all over the floor of the living room. And this woman breaks in this story when she sees the physical reality of the addiction and the bondage in her life. And the girl says to her mom, she says, why do you love these pills more than me? Why why do you keep plowing forward on this path that's not working for you? That's how bondage works. The wage of sin, the Bible says, is death. It's physical death. Death of your marriage. Death of your finance. Death of your sons and daughters and, and their future. Death in the sense of addiction. Even forgiven sin has consequences, but the gift of God has eternal life. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so sin does these things, and Jesus comes to save us from those things. But then sin also Although we're delivered from it, it has these consequences. And so Jesus delivers us from our sin, and then he saves us into a new life. The 2022, you've been saved 8, 9, 10 years. You don't have to live that way anymore. You have freedom. The Bible says, he who the Son is set free is free indeed. You've been saved to healing. Maybe not always in the physical and the here and now, but, but always in the spiritual. And Jesus comes to save. And when he comes to save, he brings hope. That's the closer. He brings hope. Things don't have to be the way they used to be. That's the gospel. That you don't have to hopelessly spin your wheels in the church parking lot. That you can learn a lot. Here's a 90s reference. Are you ready? That you can learn a lot from a dummy, that you can be transformed by the gospel. I want to show you a picture when we close. We're going to turn in our pledge cards today. Jesus saves too. Jesus seems saves to bring freedom. Jesus seems to, saves to bring healing. Jesus saves to bring hope. And now I want to show you this picture as we close. This guy, we all met him in Peru. His name is Joel, which is more appropriately pronounced if you have any experience with Latin American culture as Joel. I don't know how old you think Joel is. He looks old to me, but he's 14. He's younger than Jet. And the reason he probably looks older is because he's lived harder. Nice kid. We listened to testimonies of about half of the orphanage when we were in Peru. But his, I don't know about the rest of the team, but his, his testimony got me. Joel's 14 years old, <clears throat> grew up in the poorest streets of Iquitos, 
Around 10, 11 years old, Joel gets hooked on drugs. Around 10, 11 years old, he becomes a kid of the streets. No parents to be found, no grandparents to be found, living on the streets, no visible adult to love him, to guide him. And by the time Joel was 12 years old, he was stealing to survive. And so we, we said, who wants to share their testimony? Joel's the first one to stand up in the orphanage. He talks for about 10 to 15 minutes about what God has done in his life. This young man is 14 years old. He's lived like with the reality of three lifetimes of most of us. He was telling us his story about before he came to the orphanage and what Jesus has done in his life since. And he told us, he said, I had no family and now I have a family. I have no hope, but now I have, no, now I have hope. I didn't know what it was like to be loved unconditionally and now I'm loved by, by Mac and the team unconditionally. I had no brothers and now I have 13 other brothers. He's, he's crying, look at his eyes, he's crying as he's telling us the story. He's saying, before I came here, I stole something in a really rough neighborhood of Iquitos and the adult men had had enough of it and so they tied me up in the street to make an example of me so that in the daylight, people could all walk by and see that I was a thief. He's crying while he's telling us these things. He's saying, I had no Jesus, and now I have Jesus. Because Yeshua came with the heart of a warrior, and he saved me from my sin. But here, here's what I just want to make sure is clear when I was praying through this message. He saved me from my sin, but then he saved me to new life. I had no hope, now I have hope. I had no peace, now I have peace. I had no love, now I have love. I have Jesus Christ, and it's changed my life. This kid is so stinking tenderhearted. So tenderhearted. Praise man's going to come back up. We're going to just take a moment. We're going to fill out our Kingdom Builders cards. There's no name attached. We're going to pass the buckets around. It's not our general offering. That's at the door. But, but I just want to remind you this Christmas season, there, there's a point and a method to all of our madness, and it's just to make Christ known and to let him heal and let him transform and let him have his way in our lives and to be used as a vessel in this church year after year after year faithfully, 18 years now into the ministry, to be used for the gospel to go forward so that kids like Joel have hope, kids in Aberdeen have hope, adults can come hear the gospel and get saved. We have seen like almost 1,000 people in the last 18 years baptized at New Life. God is moving, God is transforming, God is healing. And he's using his son, Jesus Christ, in our lives. Jesus came fundamentally to save, to save from sin, to save to new life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that so many of us in this space right now have been saved from the bondage of our sin. That we used to look one way, but now we're different. And we pray that you would have your way in our lives. And now use us to save us to good works and to, to seeing other people's lives changed. Use us, Jesus, this Christmas season. We pray this in your name. Amen.